1: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Wednesday, May the 10th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On May 10, 1940, during World War II, German forces began invading the Netherlands, Luxembourg, Belgium, and France. That same day, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain resigned. He'd been advocating for appeasement, said he'd talked to Hitler and everything was going to be just fine. Well, it wasn't fine, of course, and uh, he resigned. Winston Churchill formed a new government, and the rest is history. Today in 1775, Ethan Allen and his Green Mountain Boys, along with Colonel Benedict Arnold, they captured the uh, British-held fortress of Ticonderoga in New York. Today in 1818, American patriot Paul Revere, he died in Boston. He was 83 years old. Today in 1869, a golden spike was driven in Promontory, Utah that marked the completion of the first transcontinental railroad in the United States. Today in 1924, J. Edgar Hoover was named acting director of the Bureau of Investigation. It later became known as the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or we know it as the FBI. Today in 1941, Adolf Hitler's deputy, Rudolf Hess, He parachuted into Scotland, and he told them he he claimed he was on a peace mission. (laughs) Now they didn't buy that. He ended up serving a life sentence at Spandau Prison until 1987, where he apparently committed suicide. He was 93 years old. Ten years ago today, the Internal Revenue Service apologized for what it acknowledged as inappropriate targeting, of conservative political groups during the 2012 election to see if they were violating their tax-exempt status. They had shut down, basically, a number of Tea Party groups and um, others that were advocating or appearing to advocate for the conservative, the right, during that period of time. It was very, very difficult for many ministries and 501c4 organizations. The apology interestingly enough was didn't cost them much. Lois Lerner ended up resigning, but she took her she was making a salary of several hundred thousand dollars. She took her retirement which was almost that much per month and said, "Yeah, we're sorry." You wonder if they're sorry if they got caught, or sorry for their action. We'll never know, will we? Caught my attention the other day. I just actually yesterday. The uh, PETA, you know, you know who PETA is—the Animal Rights People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, the animal rights group. They're highly funded and um, they're very active, of course, and and they're in your face all the time when they have a chance to. Well, I saw this press release. And um, it caught my attention. And PETA is rewriting a portion of the Bible to make it more animal-friendly. And you say, "Well, Gary, who cares?" Well, I care because they put that out there in front of uninformed people like Nancy Pelosi. How many times did we hear Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker of the House, say something to the effect that if you if you take care of the environment, that's an act of worship to God? The Bible says so. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. It talks about the environment. It tells us that God has given us dominion over the environment. But it doesn't say it's an act of worship to take care of it. I mean, maybe it is, but the Bible doesn't say that. I don't think it's an act of worship. I think it's simply a responsibility that God has given to mankind. It's not at all what we have made of it today, but it is a responsibility. So often people see things or they they are told things that the Bible says or the well the Bible doesn't actually say that but it means that and so on. This is a time of great confusion that we live in. So it caught my attention. I said they're rewriting the the Bible and they're starting in the book of Genesis. But the organization has released this statement they're claiming that is that they are now becoming a biblical organization, and they're using popular artificial intelligence, that generator, that chat, GPT, to rewrite the book of Genesis. And they're going to put it out for sale. In fact, it's already out for sale. You can get it for $3.99. Anyway, it should be worth more than that, I suppose, if it's worth anything. It's not. But they're using this artificial intelligence to rewrite the the book of Genesis. They're apparently giving the Old Testament text kind of a modern makeover to send a, you know, can't-be-missed animal rights message filled with vegan teachings. I took a look at some of it. It's, uh, boy, I'll, t- I'll tell you, it's, it's not surprising, but it's kind of amazing what they're doing. PETA, it's an effort to present a, they say, is an effort to present a cruelty-free story of creation. In the process, they're appealing, they said, to Generation Z, and then they go into the, the stats of of Generation Z, the younger generation, how they're turning away from the church and everything, and so they they are going to reach out to them with the Bible, which has been revised, and try to reach them with this new gospel this other gospel, so to speak. They've amended specific names and titles that God has given to the creation in the text, and that's not all. In this book, PETA, which is the first the book of the Bible, according to them, uh is a version of the creation story. The animals are referred to as beings rather than beasts or creatures. Plant fibers like hemp and bamboo are used in place of animal skins for clothing, as no one with any fashion or moral sense, they say, would wear animal skins in the 21st century. Part of Abraham's story in Genesis chapter 22 is transformed (laughs) with the patriarch befriending a lamb rather than sacrificing a ram. And a chapter before that, Abraham and Sarah adopt a dog named Herbie, and there's a conversation in this new version of Genesis There's a conversation that apparently unfolds about the importance of adoption rather than buying pets from pet shops and pet stores. Peter believes God wouldn't ever permit animal cruelty, and thus these creative liberties are being taken. They said we are saving people from being misled when they, in fact, are trying to mislead people. The Bible has always been used for various things. PETA says, the Bible has long been used to justify all forms of oppression. So we've used chat GPT to make it clear that a loving God would never endorse exploitation of or cruelty to animals. And this, PETA's uh, president, this Ingrid Newkirk, said in a, um, in a statement, quote, it took God only six days to create the entire world, but we realized it would take us years to rewrite the whole Bible, which is why we started with the first book. As I said, it's for sale, the book, don't buy it, <laughs> but we need to be informed. It's selling for $3.99, and they're describing it as the first-of-its-kind effort to of AI-generated vegan interpretation of the book of Genesis. Well, I'll tell you, you know, there's warnings about this kind of stuff. I mean, God, God has spoken about this in Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. It talks about the Bible talks about the changing narratives, and uh, the Bible is God breathed. It's inspired. It's infallible. And it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in in righteousness and godliness. I mean, that that's the word of the Lord. It stands forever. And these guys are out there messing with it and and putting it out to the public as a means of advancing their extreme agenda. And people that aren't informed, I mean, you look at the statistics and not that many people read the Bible, even among people who identify themselves as devout Christians or even evangelicals or whatever. A lot of people say they, they rarely read the Bible. So they put this out there in front of a, an uninformed uh, group of people, a culture. And what's to say they're going to read that and say, what? well, you know, this makes sense to me or whatever. So the scripture also tells us <laughs> that we are not to add or take away from the book. And Pete is doing both. These people get away with this. I mean, not just this, but all kinds of things. I mean, human nature. We get away with things and we do stuff that we know is contrary or we're told is contrary to the word of God. And we think because there are no immediate consequences that, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, so the Bible says not to change any words. We don't care what the Bible says. We want it to say what we want it to say. There's always people that are in the process of trying to create a God in their own image. And that is always a path to destruction. Sometimes it's a long path. Sometimes it's a sudden path. But it's always a path to destruction. We're on a path to destruction in America today. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. But I want to thank you also for your support of this ministry. We try to do um, the best we can every day. I give it my best shot to try to inform you as to what's going on. There are a lot more things going on than we talk about on this program, but obviously time does not allow us to touch on, certainly on all of them. I mean, it'd be infinity, but uh, we try to touch on the ones that I think are most relevant and that I think are most uh, important to believers and to people who believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And to those of you who don't believe that, at least be open-minded to what we're talking about on this program because it, it you may i mean you may pick up something that you've missed and there may be a better way than the path you're on and i know it's hard to admit sometimes but maybe in your heart god would speak to you and kind of affirm to you of who he really is and that he loves you and that he cares for you and that his son jesus christ died for you and rose from the dead because he paid the price for your sin. There is a better way, and that is we look at the world through a biblical worldview. We look at everything through what does the Bible say. That's what true Christianity is all about. So be open to the things you hear on this program, even even if you don't believe them. And I know some of you are listening, and you don't believe what I'm saying. But thank you for listening. And to all of you who support this ministry, thank you. We need your support to do what we do. It's expensive. Christian radio stations are expensive. But thank you for standing with me on this. Our address is Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009 research has found that most Americans say life is worse today than it was 50 years ago for people like them. When people get old, they always say, well, I wish, boy, it was sure better than this in the good old days. I remember I used to listen to my grandmother and particularly my grandmother say that. They were very positive people, but they were saying, well, it was so much better back in, you know, whatever. And then my mom and dad kind of got to that point too. And sometimes, I don't know when, you know, I'm over 40 now, but when I get old someday, I, I, maybe I'll be like that too. No, I'm, I'm smiling, and so are you. I can see your smile. I know there's a tendency for us to tend to look back and say, well, it was better then than it is now. And I know that tendency, but but there is a, a, a sense in America today of, of frustration. There's a sense of fear. There's a sense of anxiety that is not like it has been in any recent memory, if ever, maybe since the Civil War in America. So Pew Research found that most Americans say life is worse than it was 50 years ago. Surveys showed that Americans hold a negative view of how life is for people now. There's a spiritual component in this, and I want to get to that. They were asked, in general, would you say life in America today is better or worse, or about the same as it was 50 years ago for people like you? That was the question on their very recent uh, poll. Leftist ide- ideologies and policies have created an age of pessimism. It's a time, really, a time of hopelessness. But can it be reversed? Should it be reversed? I think it should. In John chapter nine, in John chapter nine, Jesus said something very important. And sermons have been preached on this. I have preached sermons on this. Books have been written about it. But in verse 4 of John chapter 9, Jesus is responding to those. Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. And his disciples said to him, uh, in the first part of the the first three verses of that chapter, they said, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered them and said, Neither hath this man sin nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest to him. What Jesus was saying, bottom line, what Jesus was saying is, that's not the point that I healed the man. I mean, it's a big deal to him, but that's not the point that I healed the man. He said, verse four, I must work the works of him that sent me. And some of your versions will say, we must work the works. And I, I think that's a fair translation, but King James says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day the night cometh when no man can work. Jesus attached urgency to doing the work of the Lord. That's my point in this scripture, and it's very clear that that's what Jesus is saying. There is a time, it is time sensitive that we do the work of the Lord in the time that we have been allotted, because there is a, a time coming, a night coming, the darkness, when we won't be able to, to do that anymore we must work while it is day for the night cometh when no man can work even the, a person who is sold out to the lord we want to do the things of god and but we can't no man can do the work that's essentially I, there's much more to that and I, I know theologians vary on on that a lot and <clears throat> that isn't what this program is about although i would love to talk to you about it but that that's what jesus is saying so Anyway, most ordinary Americans have found that memories of gathering with family for holidays and special days like Thanksgiving and Christmas, they remember the good times. They're saying, we don't have that so much anymore. In fact, they're telling Pew Research that their life is worse now than 50 years ago. The question, as I said earlier, was this, quote, in general, Would you say life in America today is better, worse, or about the same as it was 50 years ago for people like you? I don't know why they added that, people like you, but they found value in that. Over half, 58% said they believe life is worse for people like them than it was 50 years ago. That reflects a 15-point increase from the 43% who said the same in July of 2021. We're on a steep decline regarding the quality of life. Everybody kind of knows it in America. I think this poll reflects something that's kind of in the back of the mind even of very positive people. I don't think this reflects that we're just kind of a kind of a grouchy old nation that doesn't like anything. I don't think that's what this says at all. It just says that there's a lot of fear and concern and anxiety in our culture today. Only 23% said they believe life is better And 19% said it's about the same. But Republicans and Republican leaners are more likely to say life is worse today for people like them than it was back in 1973. 72% said life is worse. 14% said it's better. Well, that's partially a political statement. Well, it could be. But a plurality of Democrats also believe it's worse today. 43% say their life is worse today than it was 50 years ago. That reflects a 13-point uptick from the 30% who said the same in July of 2021. Pew says, quote, While both older adults and younger adults are much more likely to say that life today is worse for people like them than to say life is better, there's a sizable age gap on this question. Adults 50 and older are 46 points more likely to say that life is worse today for people like them than they are to say that life is better, 65% versus 19%. Adults age 18 to 49, by comparison, are 24 points more likely to say life today is worse, 51% to 27%. Coinciding with this is the fact that Americans tend to have a pessimistic view of the future, not just today. But there's a pessimistic view about the future. 66% believe the U.S. economy will be weaker in 2050. And 71% believe the U.S. will be less important in 2050, 27 years down the road. They don't see any bright future for themselves or the country. 81% believe that the wealth gap will grow. 77% believe the country will be even more politically divided by 2050. I mean, it's really pessimistic. A recent CBS poll, YouGov poll found that 97% of Americans viewed president Biden's economy as the top issue of their concern. The CBS YouGov poll, it, it broke it down, but it, it, they had four categories and that it caught my attention. They, they did a good job of the way they presented this better than some, but the way they presented this on a, on a chart at a glance, what you see from the CBS you gov poll, you see that 49% of Americans are scared. They're just simply scared. They're living in fear. 47% are hopeful. 22% said they're angry. And 11%, only 11%. Identified their emotions as excited. So you've got hopeful and excited, 47% and 11%. So you got, what is that, 58% of Americans are hopeful and excited. They they, they identify that. And there's an overlap here. This is more than 100%, obviously. But there's 49% and 22% are scared. And angry. That's not the life that Jesus was talking about. What he said, "I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly." Even Victor Davis Hansen, who a guy whom I greatly respect, he's he's he is the greatest historian, conservative for sure, historian in America. Even he, I've noticed in a couple of his columns, are getting a little. He's getting a little bit pessimistic about things in general. I mean, we all are. I mean, it doesn't look good. Adam Smith wrote about this a long time ago in his Wealth of Nations. He observed that in that book, he's observed that much of the ruin in a nation, he was talking about it, he meant that a successful country can withstand quite a bit of bad governance because its basic institutions are sound and the people are resilient. That's true, but the ability to withstand bad governance, he says, is not infinite. Victor Davis Hansen was talking about that this week in one of his articles. It was published in a lot, a number of different uh, news organizations, conservative ones. Published his his article, but among other reasons for fear, Hansen says, is our public schools and colleges are systematically downplaying meritocratic curricula and substituting ideological, racial, and cultural litmus tests. He said admissions now often hinge on on much of race, gender, and ethnicity more so than on quantifiable achievement. He said the First Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, covering free speech and due process, has vanished from most college campuses. He's right. It has. The left's favorite word, you know this, but their favorite word is change. Barack Obama ran for president of the United States on hope and change. The hope was kind of manufactured. The change, he meant that. He wanted to change America. In fact, he often said that he wanted to remake America. It was old, it was outdated, it was no good. But yet, so many people in America say, no, it isn't. No, I I like the way it was. It's worse now than it was 50 years ago. After we've had this assault by the left, It lifted Barack Obama from a community organizer making probably a minimum wage to a multi-multi-millionaire. Oh, I know, because of his presidency. He probably didn't make the multi-millions in the presidency as Joe Biden is doing presently. But he did make them as a result of being president. So yeah, his world is better. Barack Obama's world is much better. I think I read recently that he and Michelle are worth 70 million dollars now and that's just since they left the White House. A lot of things are changing. Change, the idea of change covers a lot of failures. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 through 8 says there is a time for everything. You know those verses. A time to everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the sun, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, and so on. It ends with a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. I think this is a time of choosing. I know and I'm fully aware as an evangelical, as a pastor, former pastor, minister my entire adult life, life, I know that there will be signs of the times as we approach the coming of the Lord. I understand that these are not the ultimate um, measurement of God's plan. But I understand that we're in a preparation time now. I do believe we are moving toward the coming of the Lord. There's no question about that in my mind. And I think some of the things we see happening in our world today is kind of the run-up to that. It isn't that, but it's the run-up to that, which we are told will happen in the end of days. And we're beginning to see the signs of the preparation and the public just general, even the global public is sort of being prepped for those such a time as as that, and we are being led to not resist chips in the back of our hand or whatever. We're being set up for all of that. I understand that. But I think what we need to understand as believers and as Christians, there is a time for everything. And Jesus is calling us to do the work that God has called us to while it is day, For the night cometh when no man can work. God has allotted a certain time to us to do his work, and we are called upon, we are responsible to do the work of the Lord. And I think that must be right at the front of our minds and hearts today, because it is day we can still do the work of the Lord. And there's an urgency in my heart, and I hope there's an urgency in your heart, to do what you can do to support someone else that's doing it if you can't do whatever. But do something to help get the light out there, to shine the light, to expose the truth, speak the word of the Lord, whatever. But I think this is that time when God is calling us to work while it is still day. And that is the urgency of the moment. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you tomorrow.